All right, you're right in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. Welcome, welcome. Come one, come all, and bring your friends. Bring your loved ones. Speaking of loved ones, I hope everybody's looking forward to the Thanksgiving holiday. I certainly am. And if you're not traveling, congratulations. If you are, be safe. And uh, remember, the turkey can wait. And if you don't eat turkey, whatever you eat can also wait. All right, enough holiday talk. I've got a very special guest in Ghost Town today. Actually, it's four guests combined. And uh, these guys formed in Manchester around 1977. A couple of the guys, Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook, separately attended a Sex Pistols show at the Manchester Lesser Free Trade Hall. And the following day, Hook borrowed 35 pounds from his mother to buy his first bass guitar. And through a slight series of changes, required a new vocalist and drummer. And that vocalist is Ian Curtis. And that drummer, drummer Stephen Morris. All right, we've got a packed show today. These guys have plenty to say and play. Boom, boom, boom. Is it cool if you hum along to your own intro music? That's how I'm feeling today. Just kind of gliding along on this Sunday. All right, folks. I'm going to get right into it. It's Joy Division, right in Ghost Town. You're listening to WRFN LP Pasquo. Stay tuned and enjoy. Right. 
Joy Division, they were supporting Buzzcocks at the Electric Circus. They were, at the time, they were called Stiff Kittens, and on the night, everybody thought it was a bit of a rubbish name, and Ian announced that they were Warsaw on the night. So they changed it about half a minute before they went on stage, by all accounts. Um, and they weren't very good, really. All dressed in uniforms, so finely drank and killed to pass the time. We changed a lot initially when we started playing. We couldn't really play, to be honest. Well, we've all been learning. Yeah, it was very loose and just a bit of a fun thing, you know, how we're in a group of playing, you know, and uh, it was about August 1977, I think, when we really started getting our own particular way. Because Warsaw, they were almost on the verge of giving up, really. No one liked them. They were, you know, pretty ordinary. Uh, they weren't getting what they wanted, they weren't getting the attention they wanted, and they kind of felt on the outside of everything. So angry, so pent up, so determined to impress people, that they, for me, they, you know, it sounds like you're making up history to an extent, but it was like that, I swear it was like that, they became Joy Division. They started, you know, being harder, louder, more aggressive, the, 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 the sense of the relationship between the instruments started to gel and Ian started to suddenly have that look in his eye because he was so pissed off, he, he'd, he'd almost hit a few people, he'd kick down a door so when he went on he was, he was manic and suddenly it was there.
was only really when they started working with Martin Hannett, who produced their first album, that suddenly people saw what they were capable of doing. And when that first album came out in, I think it was maybe June 79, we played a gig at the factory and Martin mixed the sound for it. And it was a completely different band to the one we'd seen a few months earlier. In sound, it was just, there was this deep, beautiful, deep sound that had come from nowhere we'd ever experienced before. Sometimes when I was standing at the front taking pictures and Ian was Ian looked like he was slightly out of control and he was quite you know, his eyes were glazed and he was dancing like that. He was in his own little world. And I think for a photographer standing at the front, it's, it can be quite intimidating because you're not quite sure what he's going to do. I mean, the only other time I ever felt threatened by the lead singer in that way was Iggy Pop at the Apollo, but he threw a chair at me. I mean, Ian didn't do that, but he did feel that he was slightly out of control.
Till the spirit new sensation takes hold Then you know Till the spirit new sensation takes hold Then you know Till the spirit new sensation takes hold Then you know Joy Division were approached by RCA Records to record a cover of Nolan NF's Porter's. <laughs> That's Nolan NF Porter's Keep On Keeping On. And they were given recording time in the studio uh, in Manchester. And uh, they utilized it through most of uh, March and April 1978 to write and rehearse their own material. And uh, during the Stiff Chiswick Challenge concert at Manchester's Rafters Club on April 14th of 78, the group caught the attention of Tony Wilson and Bob, I'm sorry, Rob Gretton and Curtis uh, berated Wilson for not putting the group on his Granada television show, So It Goes. And Wilson responded that Joy Division would be the next band he would showcase on TV. And Gretton, the venue's resident DJ, was so impressed by the band's performance that he convinced them to take him on as their manager. And uh, they recorded uh, their debut in 1978 with the self-released An Ideal for Living and uh, off of that, you heard the song Warsaw. And uh, then later on, they uh, released uh, their own factory sample EP. And uh, that was in 1978. Um, actually, that was uh, on the factory label. Let me back up here. They, this was a compilation EP, and Joy Division contributed two tracks. And uh, that was in 1978. Tony Wilson uh, was the owner and uh, operator of Factory Records, and ended up signing Joy Division as uh, soon as they were able to buy themselves out of their RCA contract. And on that factory sample EP, you heard the song Digital. And also getting into their uh, first record, Unknown Pleasures, the song was Disorder, the last track you heard. I'm going to keep it going right now with Unknown Pleasures. Here's Day of the Lords. You're right in Ghost Town, baby. Oh, 
you've probably heard something from their new album, Unknown Pleasures, on the Feelers show. And the reviews have been very, very complimentary. All of which goes to show that perhaps Tony Wilson's criticisms of the record industry are justified because Joy Division's album is on his factory label. When Richard Skinner met Stephen Morris and Ian Curtis from the band, he wondered whether they felt their isolation in Manchester was a help or a hindrance to their careers. In our terms, it has been quite a good thing because we haven't been influenced by what's been going on elsewhere. Really, we were apart from everything and we sort of developed our own particular way in our own environment. Mm. At the time when we started in Manchester, there were only three or four other groups of the new wave type. Yet in London, there seemed to be a lot more... I think in Manchester, a lot of groups expanded, you know, went their own different ways. One thing that Tony Wilson told us um, is that you very rarely see any of these A&R men, the talent spotters around up in this area. But in fact, that Manchester's very much left alone to its own devices. No, I don't think they can afford the train fare up here, really. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever want to be signed by a major label? Yeah, when we started, I mean, uh, when you start in a band, it's everybody's uh, wild ambition to be the next Beatles or something like that. But um, the longer you keep at it, the less naive you become, and you realise that there's a bit more to it than that. I don't think that really bothered me. I'm not really in interested in record company, you know, the A&R, man. Sniffing around your door, oh, we've read something about these chaps somewhere. Let's check them out.
changed a lot initially when we started playing. We couldn't really play, to be honest. <laughs> well, we've all got to learn, haven't we? Yeah. It was very loose and just a bit of a fun thing, you know, oh, we're in a group, we're playing, you know, and uh, it was about August 1977, I think, when we really started getting our own particular way. You've been described as uh, the next big breakout band out of uh, Manchester. And it's interesting that the other day we had uh, Gary Newman on Rock On, who was sort of pointing to the future of rock, and I've got a quote here from him where he said that machine rock was going to be the next big thing. Now, there's a certain influence, I can see, of maybe Velvet Underground or Kraftwerk or something in some of your music. Is that what you're consciously doing at the moment? No. No. <laughs> Tell us what it is. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, all due respect to Gary Newman, but uh, I don't agree with uh, 
classifying anything, you know, shoving things in little boxes. What we do is what we do, and it's for people playing the sort of music they want to play. Division, she's lost control. That's from Unknown Pleasures, the debut LP from the band. Also from the album New Dawn Fades, Insight, and you heard Day of Lords, Day of the Lords, starting off that set. And uh, this band recorded Unknown Pleasures in April 1979 at Strawberry Studios in Stockport. 
Uh, producer Martin Hannett, he significantly altered their live sound, and uh, this was a fact that was greatly displeased by the band at the time, or, you know, displeased the band <laughs> at the time. Doing my best today, folks. And uh, Hook said in 2006 that the album definitely didn't turn out the, uh, sounding the way that they wanted it to, but uh, now he could see that Martin did a job and uh, did the good job that they uh, deserved, and there's no two ways about it. Uh, he said uh, Martin Hannett created the Joy Division sound. And the album cover was designed by Peter Seville, who would go on to provide artwork for future Joy Division releases. And Unknown Pleasures was released in June and uh, sold through its initial pressing of 10,000 copies. Tony Wilson, uh, the head of the record label, said that the relative success of this album turned the indie label into a true business and a revolutionary force that operated outside of the major record label system. Here's Shadow Play from Unknown Pleasures. Joy Division, you're right in Ghost Town.
you're influenced to an extent by everything you hear. I mean, obviously, everything's got some sort of uh, influence on you. I mean, I listen to a lot of music, but I won't say that influences me. I mean, we all listen to different sorts of music, and uh, you can't really pin down any specific thing. I mean, like, uh, people keep saying, ah, oh, we like the dogs, but, I mean, uh, Barney and Oki haven't even heard the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't really say, you know, you can say we've been influenced by them at all. With all the attention that you're beginning to get in the music press and these incredibly glowing reviews for your album, deserved glowing reviews too, how does it feel for you as a band to suddenly be the, the thing that everybody's looking at? To be honest, it doesn't affect us at all because when we started, we got very bad reviews. <laughs> and then we got a few good ones and a few bad ones. Not everyone in the whole country is going to put on a like us, so... We Thank you. 
now we're going to talk about the music we hear on the radio, or rather the music we don't hear on the radio. Are we being conditioned by radio producers and DJs into liking what they want us to like? Do they actually stifle a lot of the stuff we do want to hear, as they don't think it's good for us? With me is Tony Wilson, a television journalist, who in his spare time is one of the people behind Factory Records, one of the new independent labels. Radio 1 G DJ Paul Burnett and Steve Morris from Joy Division. Steve, I'd like to ask you the first question. As a member of an up-and-coming band, do you think you get a fair deal from the radio? Not really, no. And why do you think this is? Well, by the radio, I assume you're referring to Radio 1. Well, the only times that our records have actually been played on Radio 1 has been late at night on the John Peel show and uh, once on uh, the Mike Reed show on the Saturday on the Manchester special. Yeah. I'm sure Steve would be interested to hear how discs are chosen for airplay. Do you yourself have any choice, Paul? Uh, yes, we do, with just the record of the week, you know, that we put our name to. So it's a very limited choice, Steve? No, I was just going to say that uh, we do have an influence on the selection of records that go up to the uh, playlist meeting, which is uh, four producers who sit down once a week and submit records which they all play and listen to. And if you have a good rapport with your producer, you can have quite a strong influence on the... Uh, is it not true, though, that the majority of people actually on this playlist committee are middle-aged trendies? Uh, that has been said. It has been said. Uh, it's unfair, because by saying that, you're as guilty of... Uh, you know, if you believe that, you're as guilty of prejudice as much as people who believe that youngsters are yobs and what have you. Uh, because... Well, Tony, do you think that's prejudice? Do you think the people have got the finger on the pulse? No, um, I think you should let Paul finish what he was saying, because he'll never talk to you again. No, they haven't. They haven't got the foggiest idea in the world what's going on, the, most of them. But uh, there are some good ones, and I think we want you to define the difference between Radio 1 and commercial radio. The funniest thing in this country has been that Radio 1, and Top of the Pops to some extent, has been slightly progressive, and one can thank it. I mean, at least, you know, Top of the... Uh, Peel plays it and stuff like that. But commercial radio, to my mind, has been the, the real abject. I mean appalling, empty, vacant, depressing, non-sort of area of communications. And that was what was meant to replace the pirate radio stations. The last four years, if there had been an alternative radio station to take the music that was happening, what's happened the last four years, we'd, we'd be in a different world now. Well, Unknown Pleasures was released to mixed reviews. It wasn't until the 1979 non-album 7-inch single transmission that really caused the public to take notice to this band.
a couple of tracks on um, some third Bastyrcon, was it? Was it yeah, Bastyrcon? it's the second one. What yeah. did you, how did you get involved with Pass and Edinburgh Company? Yeah, it was um, when we started playing, we, we played a few days with the Rizillos, Bob Last yeah. was the manager at the time. And he talked then about setting up his own record label and he wanted us to do a single for him. But due to other factory coming along and other things, and uh, he did things with Ganga 4 and the Human League first and got sort of tied in, sort of in a, in a management way with the Human League. I think he manages maybe yeah, another right, one. Yeah. It never came about. When we were doing the album, um, we had quite a few tracks left over, we recorded 16 in all, and just put 10. And um, our manager Rob Gretton had talked to him about certain things. We'd always sort of kept in touch. He mentioned his, his idea for, for Acom and uh, we just offered him, you know, two tracks to put out on that. We, we like to get Sort of every every everything we record out one way or another. Like we've done the Acom, we're doing it sordid, sentimental thing, which is a French limited edition magazine come record thing. There's two tracks on that that'll be coming out that won't be on an album or a single. Just that we like getting, you know, as much stuff out as we can really in some form or another.
WRFN, LP Pasquo. I'm Creepy Steve, and I have the Joy Division visiting in Ghost Town.
Joy Division, that's Dead Souls and Atmosphere. You also heard both off of the Liked Un Blindheit EP release. Before that, Transmission, the non-album 1979 7-inch you heard. That's the vinyl. And uh, I Remember Nothing and also Shadow Play off of Unknown Pleasures to complete the set there. Unfortunately, in 1980, tragedy struck the band. Um, Ian Curtis, having dealt with uh, epilepsy, often... uh, having seizures and uh, on his on stage during his live performances uh, that started to increase um, wearing on his uh, mental state also his uh, physical health and also his relationship to compound that uh, with his wife Deborah at the time who had been married uh, since 1975 as teenagers uh, was being uh, heavily strained uh, she issued him divorce papers and uh, unfortunately the evening before uh, Joy Division were to fly out for their first American tour Curtis returned to his home in uh, Macclesfield to talk to his then-estranged wife. And uh, he asked her to drop the divorce suit she had filed. And uh, then later he told her to leave him alone in the house until he caught a train to Manchester the following morning. And early on uh, May 18th, 1980, having spent the night watching the Werner Herzog film Strazek, Curtis hanged himself in his kitchen. And uh, Deborah discovered his body later that day when she returned to their home. Who knows what what really went on that night? Who knows what what really happened? He was on his own that night. He'd seen Debbie, and they'd had an argument, and then he spent most of the night on his own, and who knows what went through his head. Whatever happened between Debbie and Ian on that last night was, um, I'd I'd say, was quite obviously what finished him off. He felt he couldn't cope with it anymore, and that, 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 that was it. You know, none of us were there. He didn't phone anybody up. We had been warned twice. We'd been warned by the fact he took an overdose of tablets. And our response was, like the line from Closer, it's a cry for help, a plea for anesthesia. Wrong. Secondly, I'd been warned on a train to London two weeks earlier by Anique. I said, what do you think of the new album? She goes, I'm terrified. I said, what are you terrified of? Don't you understand? He means it. And I go, no, he doesn't mean it. It's it's art. And guess what? He fucking meant it. Cry like a child, though these years make me
level tears apart. That's the 1980 single released posthumously after uh, Ian Curtis's death. And uh, when it was released, it hit number 13 on the UK singles chart. And in July of 1980, the album Closer, which uh, Curtis had actually finished recording with the band, was finally finally released and uh, peaked at number six on the UK albums chart. Also, Curtis's death uh, caused the uh, record label. It actually provided an opportunity for the record label Factory Records to re-release the first album, Unknown Pleasures, and uh, went on to greater success. Really, as most artists today, the death is what made them even bigger. Keep it going, Joy Division and Ghost Town.
We tend to be pretty isolated now, really. Apart from the factory groups, we have, we have a lot to do with the other groups on factory. So we tend to play a lot of gigs with them. And there's other things, like um, the Dorothy Column LP, or the Sandpaper Sleeve. We, we stuck that on. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's there, you know, everyone meets yeah. each other with that. But groups like the Buzzcocks, uh, we knew them when we started, really. You know, when, when we sort of see them, it's not very often. We'd like to, you know, see a lot more of the Manchester groups, I think. Or any other groups in general. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you think of the sort of um, state of New Wave? I don't know, I think it's... A lot of it tends to have lost its edge, really. Just quite a few newer groups that have heard odd records of, or have seen maybe. Such a... I like the groups on Factory, Certain Ratio and Section 25. Um, I tend not to listen, when I'm listening to records, I don't listen to much new wave stuff. I tend to listen mm -hmm. to the stuff I used to listen mm -hmm. to um, a few years back. Um, sort of odd singles. Mm -hmm. I, I know someone who works in a record shop where I live. And I'll go in there and he'll play me via this single. Singles by um, who call it tight, so an obscure thing in who call think uh, Bauhaus. It's one single. There's no, there's no one I can you know I completely like that I can say well I've got all this person's record and I think he's great or well, this group's record. It's just odd. again odd things.
drummer Stephen Morris of Joy Division has said that even without his suicide, it was unlikely that because of his depression and illness, Ian Curtis and Joy Division would uh, would not have endured as they were. So there you have it. Uh, listening to Joy Division right in right smack in the middle of Ghost Town here on Radio Free Nashville. You just heard Colony, Isolation, and also Atrocity Exhibition all off of their uh, second and final release, Closer. I'm going to keep it going right now. A means to an end. You're listening to Ghost Town. It's Joy Division.
Yeah. What is your sort of relationship with Factory Records? It's um, it's very good. Sort of friends. Everyone knows each other. It's all fifty-fifty. You know, everything square. Doesn't it seem a bit insular sort of thing with Factory sort of set up? Don't know, I suppose to someone looking looking at it from the outside. I suppose it is really pretend. <laughs> I mean, they're not pressurised into having to sign, you know, like, get a normal record company. They're always looking at, looking for the, the next group, the next big thing, you know, to, to bring the record sales in, for them to promote and everything. But Factory just sign who they want to, put records, buy whom they want to out, package it how they want to, you know, how they like doing it. It's just, just one like that. You might get sort of a spurt of three singles out you might not see anything for the next six months you know so, I like you know the relationship
For one 
outside this country. We've played in Europe already, in uh, Holland and Germany, and we are going to America. We're only going for, uh, I think they wanted us to go for about three months or something, but we're only going for about two weeks, three weeks, and Rough Trade will probably be organising that. I think we're going with Cabaret Volta. Like that. They're a good group. I forgot about um, But we tend to... Uh, do what we want really. We, we play the music we want to play and we play the places we want to play. I'd hate to be on the you know the usual record company where it's sort of you get an album out, you do a tour, you know, you do all the audiums and the this that and the others. Couldn't do that at all. So bad experience of that supporting the bus club. It was really yeah, soul destroying, you know, at the end of it. Said we'd never tour. And we'll never do a we'll never do a tour, I don't think. Or if we do it will not be longer than about two weeks. 
Decades, that's Joy Division off their final album, Closer. Also in there you heard 24 Hours, Heart and Soul, and It Means to an End. That's right, wrapping up the Joy Division for this week's Ghost Town episode. And uh, the members of Joy Division had made a pact long before Curtis's death that should any member leave, the remaining members would change the name of the group. And they eventually renamed themselves New Order, and they were uh, reborn as a three-piece with Sumner assuming vocal duties. And then the group later recruited Morris's girlfriend, Gillian Gilbert, to round out the lineup as a keyboardist and second guitarist. Um, she started as a member of uh, the punk group The Inadequates, and then uh, Gilbert had become friends with the band's members and had played guitar at a Joy Division performance when Curtis, uh, Curtis had been a- unable to play because of his uh, epilepsy. And uh, New Order's first single, Ceremony, was released in 1981, and it was formed from the last two songs written with Curtis. Um, While the group struggled in its early years to escape the shadow of Joy Division, New Order went on to a far greater commercial success than their predecessor, and uh, with a very different and more upbeat and dance-oriented sound. Here's the single, Ceremony, New Order, you're in Ghost Town.
Ceremony, that's New Order, the single release immediately following the demise of Joy Division. Uh, yes, check out some New Order. I will absolutely feature them on a future show um, if I can get them to visit Ghost Town. It'll take the powers of persuasion, but I'm feeling good these days. Building some clout. All right, make sure you stay tuned for uh, RFN Weekend with Matt the Proud Man. And I'm going to carry out the show with a couple of filler tracks. Make sure you join me next week, Sunday from noon to 2. I'll be here for another edition of Ghost Town. This is Television off of their uh, Marky, Marky Moon release. And uh, the track is Friction. I might be able to squeeze in another uh, track after that one as well. All right, stay tuned. WRFN LP Pasquo. Sir, 
Sponsor of 615 Live, a showcase of local Nashville talent, the last Saturday of every month at The Country Nashville. For more information on this month's showcase, visit thecountrynashville.com. 